When you hear someone talk about the gospel, it's not just a message of salvation, but it's a message of salvation and deliverance. One day I'd like to spend, maybe in January sometime, just a few, mes a few messages on what it means to be delivered. Okay, just delivered, being delivered. I don't want to get into that now, but the fifth thing is the gospel is for the unsaved. The gospel for the unsaved is really the Christmas story. It's really the story that we just sang in worship. We just sang and we uh, adoring Christ and Him coming in vulnerability. And number five, the gospel for the saved is that we are completing Christ and that we're lacking nothing. What a great attitude to bring into Christmas. That we are saved and that we are lacking nothing. That we don't start our day from a deficit. That we don't start our day, and I'm getting ahead of myself in the message, but Jesus is enough. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is enough. Shepherding us, wanting nothing. Jesus is enough for us. And so it's very easy at Christmas time. It's not going to be a long message. If I suddenly pass out, then somebody else can come up and finish preaching. <laughs> um, at Christmas time, it's very easy to actually not think, isn't it? But just to feel. I don't know about you, but looking at Christmas lights, seeing the blues and the reds and the whites, kind of just stirs up this warm, nostalgic feelings, doesn't it? I don't know about you. Maybe uh, it stirs up some actually negative feelings. I don't know. But Christmas time, people are actually shifting into emoting mode or they're feeling and it's not really a time where people are thinking and when we look at the major story and this is so interesting you have the santa claus on the front lawn versus the manger story on the front lawn battle right and which is which and i just think that both are kind of just outrageously hilarious because when we understand i mean we understand santa right we understand what he's all about but the manger scene, we could be so amped on the manger scene that we just actually forget what it's all about. We have a manger scene on our front lawn. But it's not really, under, we're not understanding what the whole manger scene is all about. And so really, there's four things that I just want to talk about this morning. Four things. Four things that uh, speak to us about the gospel of Christmas, the gospel that is in this life gospel of Christmas. Number one, Christmas means salvation. This is going to be very simple, and it's just going to be something that uh, I want us to really take home. Christmas means salvation and deliverance from this world. Christmas just means that we are saved, that there's salvation by grace. That God came into this world as a baby boy. Came into this world. Number two, Christmas means that we can have fellowship with God. This is what Christmas means. That people, mankind, can have fellowship with God. These are very big points for people who do not know Christ. Christmas, number three, means that the love of God really matters. Christmas means that love really matters. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And number four, Christmas means that real joy can exist in a very messed up world. That there is real joy that can be experienced in this world. In this messed up world. So number one, we see that Jesus in John chapter one is called the word of life. It's called the word of life. And when we see descriptions of Jesus Christ in the scripture, we always want to take note and be mindful of what God is saying about who Jesus is. Jesus is the word of life. And this is what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world. 
This is what makes it different. Because every other religion has a founder. Every other religion has a sage or a prophet or a teacher that's saying, this is the way for you to go to find eternal life. Go this way. Or do this. Every other religion has some kind of a program where you have to accomplish some code of ethics or some code of activity. And then as you do that, you're going to find eternal life. But Jesus Christ here is not saying that. We're not being told here that Jesus Christ has life or that he even gives life. We're being told that he is life. That Jesus is life. That Jesus is eternal life. And that Jesus' life is the light of men in John chapter 1, verse 4. That's so amazing because when you look at Jesus' life, that's our light. That's our Christmas light. That's the light that I want to have be blinking and shining in my house. The Christmas light. When we look at the life of Christ, starting out as a baby boy, as a, in a manger, in a very unique situation, that is light. That is light for us. That is light for this lost world. Jesus is not just a wonderful teacher. He's God himself. And Christianity is not just a baby legend. You know, we live in a society where legends are really, are really uh, big. You know, the same, it's not, no different than in Greek society where the mythology of the great Greek gods that did these incredible things. We are not worshiping a baby legend. Do you know what I'm saying? We're not, we're, we're not engaged in a legend about a baby that became a hero. We are actually looking and adoring, and this is what John says in First John, First John chapter one, in the first four verses that we read this morning, that Christmas is true. That Christmas is true. That Christmas is true, and that a baby came into this world, and not just a, not just an angel, but a baby, a human baby that was one hundred percent God and one hundred percent man. And if you can't get your mind around that, I can't either. And welcome to the human race. That's something that we're going to be learning for, the, for eternity. That Jesus was 100% man and he was also 100% God. And this is the amazing truth about it is that he was, he was, and I want to talk about this next week when we actually have our Christmas Eve morning service, where Jesus was actually killable. He was vulnerable. And that's just an amazing thing that God allowed that to happen. That this is absolute truth. And so, therefore, if this is all true, then we can be saved by grace. And we can know him by just believing on Jesus Christ. And you are received and accepted. That's the simple gospel. And never let the devil add anything to it. Salvation is by faith through grace alone. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. We get saved we know Jesus Christ. We receive him through that just understanding of just simple belief on him. And we don't add anything to it. We, we like to call it here grace plus nothing. Grace plus nothing. I think the flesh and this world that we live in loves to add things to things. Because it's just a flesh cannot accept, accept the simplicity of things. The flesh wants to do something. The flesh wants to add something that wasn't there before. The flesh wants to bring in something that Jesus never brought in. The simplicity of Christ with the Pharisees is what got him killed. The Pharisees said he is too human to be God. Isn't that amazing? He's just too human to be God. And his living was so scandalous in the eyes of the Pharisees that this caused a great, a great confusion and a great conflict. And if Jesus was alive today, 
and I say this often, if Jesus was alive today, the same exact thing would have happened to him. He would have been, he would have been maligned on, on, on mass media. He would have been accused of things that he did not do, and he would be delivered to the courts. He would be found guilty. The entire world would look at him in shame and in anger, and they would say, he has to die. And it was the same exact thing would happen, because nothing changes in the human nature. Yet Jesus Christ came. And so the first point here I'm making is that Christmas means that we are, we are saved by grace. Why is that important? Because there's a lot of hurting people today. Your neighbors, my neighbors. You know, there's people. There's people on the uh, on the end of my cul-de-sac that my, I want to go visit with my wife who lost their daughter this year, who just suddenly died taking a shower, and it was just uh, it was just unbelievable what they went through. People are hurting, and Christmas time is where people really feel it. They feel they don't. They feel the empty seat. They feel the, the, the lack of the family. And all the memories come back. And all the pictures come out. And all that stuff comes out. So Christmas means that God wants to deliver people because of grace. Let's be, let's be mindful of that. When we talk to people, you know, the lady who cuts my hair, my wife and I, we like to pick one person, just go to them all the time. Like, will we eat? Will we do stuff? You know. You just pick people like that. And, and I just think that that's the kind of the way we are because we just want to build relationship and just eventually share the gospel with them. The lady that cuts my hair, she owns a book, Iguana. She was shown, she's in her mid-20s. She's a very interesting person. She, she showed me a picture of her Iguana, which is four feet long with a Santa hat. And I thought, wow, okay, that's my Christmas card. What is happening to this world? <laughs> and, she, and she says, yeah, my relationship with my Iguana is just very... It's very like it's you know it's very the iguanas can get offended easily and just I said oh my gosh what's happening to this world and she asked me she said do you have your all your decorations up I don't know about you guys I don't know if you do but we don't and I said uh, no we don't and I didn't say that no I didn't say that. I said well we're working on it <laughs> I want I didn't want to appear to be the guy that's the loser you know you know the people down the street that. Everybody has all their lights up, and then the people down the street don't have anything going on in their front yard. And I've caught myself, I don't know about you guys, but I've caught myself looking down the street, looking at somebody and saying, what's the problem with those people? You know, like, everybody's got their Christmas lights up, and they don't. And I don't think that way consciously, but I, you, know, you catch yourself, and I think every one of us in this room have done that. We've looked at people and said, what's their problem? You know? And it is that way because, because Christmas has turned into something that is more than just salvation by grace. It's something that in some way, human nature has found a way to add something to it, to make it more complicated and more just more crazy. And the more we try to add to things, the more we try to fix things with Christmas, the more frustrating it becomes. And we lose sight of what it really is. Christmas is really, and there are hurting people out there, and this is the point I want to make about this, is that there are hurting people out there that need to hear that you know something, God loves you, he died for you, and he's with you, and he knows what you're going through. And I'm praying for you. And we don't have to make it complicated. We, we recently, you know, uh, we recently, and I like to do this, go into our neighborhoods and just knock on people's doors, like radical fanatics, and just say, hey, we're in the area, and we just want to ask you, we're a church in the area, we just want to ask you, is there anything that we can do to, to pray for you? Anything that we can pray for? We're, we're just down the street. Anything we can do to pray for. And it's amazing what's happening in people's lives. We did that not too long ago, and there was a guy that was on the phone. He said, my brother, I'm getting a call right now. My brother is having a stroke right now. Can you please pray? 
Another lady who told you about this, her son had to go to the hospital because of an enlarged heart. There's a lot going on in people's lives. And let's just remember to minister to that, that need that people have because people need to understand the grace of God, which means God wants to do something awesome in your life that you could never deserve, that we could never achieve, and that we could never ever gloat that we did it. God wants to bless you in that way. He wants to bless your marriage, your family, your work. He wants to bless you in every way, right? Based on something that you and I could never achieve, that we could never qualify for, and that we could never gloat and be happy and then be proud about that we had attained it. That's the grace of God. Number two, Christmas means we can have fellowship with God. I love this point. It means that we can have fellowship with God. We can have fellowship with God. I'm going to ask you this morning, can, do you feel whether a Christian or not a Christian, that you have fellowship with God. That's a very simple message this morning. Do you feel that you have interaction with God, communion with God? Do you sense the voice of God in your life? Sometimes I don't. And I'm just being brutally honest with you. Sometimes I don't hear the voice of God, and that disturbs me, and that makes me go after him more. When, How long can we go? How many days can we go without the voice of God? You know, something, you know what the truth is? Is that we don't even seek God naturally. He had to come after us. <laughs> Isn't that great news? You know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And sometimes I'm like, well, I don't even feel like seeking anything. I just want to seek myself. And Jesus comes after him. This is the story. Secondly, Christmas means that we can have fellowship with God because we're not just being told that it's enough to believe in God or to have warm feelings at Christmas, or just to say, I'm obeying God. Because, you know, we can do all of that and not even know God, right? I could obey the Ten Commandments, or think I am, and not know God. Right. I can do all the good stuff. I can go to church and say, amen, hallelujah, brother, God bless you, you look great today, and then not even have any interaction, any fellowship with God. Because God is not just after our, our obedience, and he's not just after our belief, and he's not just after our warm feelings at Christmas, Christmas means that God has gone to infinite lengths to come near to you and I. Isn't that amazing? God has come to, he has done infinite lengths to come near to you and I. He has come to draw near to you and have a personal relationship with you so that you can know him personally. He became human so that we can have fellowship with God, with intimacy. I want to say a few words about intimacy with God here for a minute. If we were to look at the sun, and I know this happened recently here in Texas, there was a semi-eclipse, and uh, I don't know how many of you bought the glasses, did some of you guys buy the sunglasses to look at this, to, to, to see the eclipse? Anybody do that here? Just all, all smart people here, okay. Some people were buying these glasses at Walmart, and one lady actually bought these glasses at Walmart or somewhere, looked right at the sun, right at the sun at the, at the midst of the eclipse, and had, now has a crescent-shaped scar on her retina. She was looking at the sun as it was partially eclipsed. The sun is, a, is an incredibly bright star, isn't it? If we try to look at the glory of the sun for any second, um, our eyes are going to be burned out. We cannot even see it. And even if we could look at it, we could not make out its glory and its greatness, could we? We need a filter. We need a strong filter. We need a great filter. We need a filter that would be so powerful that we could look at the sun and we could see its shape, its edges. We could see the fire, its its uh, you know its sunspots and those and those um, sun rages when when we see the the 
the sun just uh, you know exploding. We need a filter. And when we look at when we think about the glory of God, and this is the situation that Moses was in. Moses said, "Let me see your glory, God." God said, "You cannot see my glory because if you were to see my glory, you would be, you you would burn up, you would explode. Your the, the retina of your soul would be burnt, and you would never you could never recover. You would be you'd be lost." And so God hides Moses in the rock, and he goes by, and Moses can only see the back parts of God's glory. What does that mean to us today? That means the same thing, that God said to us, and we said to God, God, we want to see you. And God says, I want to show myself to you, but you need a filter. What is this filter? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the filter that we look at and we can see God. The book of Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 talk about Jesus Christ being the exact image of God. When we look at the life of Christ, when we read the Gospels, and I want to encourage you to often read the Gospels. Let's not get so stuck in Ephesians and these doctrinal chapters, which are important, that we just don't sit down sometimes and just read through the life of Christ. Just read through the book of Mark. You know, if you're a teenager, read the book of Mark. The, Mark, the book of Mark is short. And it's to the point, and it's written, I think, for a, a young person's mindset. Jesus is our filter. And when we see Jesus, we see the humility of God, don't we? We see the majesty and the love of God, don't we? We see his brilliance. We also see, when we look at Jesus Christ, we see his compassion, don't we? That he was compassionate. That he healed everyone that came to him. That's, there are things about Jesus' life that, when we look at it, it's hard to explain today. You know, it, it causes some amazing questions in our mind. Jesus' life was very, very disruptive from religious concepts. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus' life is a filter for us. And when we look at him, we, we can see God. When we look at the Old Testament, we're looking at God without a filter sometimes. There were people in the Old Testament that kind of had the secret of God in the sense that they understood that a Messiah is coming and they believed on him. And there are men like Noah, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah understood the grace of God. And there was Moses understood somewhat. Joshua understood somewhat. I think David, the psalmist, really understood God. And you could see God through the filter of Jesus Christ, the anointed of God. We see other men of God in the Old Testament <coughs> that... See God through that could see God through a filter of a coming Savior. Old Testament is like that. The Old Testament is like looking at God without a filter. Then the New Testament comes. Jesus Christ comes. And then we see God so clearly, so 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 wonderfully. He has not only come to display to us, but he has showing us through a filter of exactly who God is. God sh Jesus shows us that God is someone that we can relate to. God the man. And suddenly God becomes to us very human. He's a very, he's a real person. And so God desires more than just belief or obedience. Any God can demand that. God deserves intimacy. God desires intimacy. And Christmas tells us that story. I just want to say a couple things about intimacy and practicality. God desires intimacy with you and I. Intimacy means not just knowing. Because you can go to Google and know stuff, but have no intimacy in your life. You can actually have a relationship with somebody online and have no intimacy with them. You can actually have a, per a relationship with somebody at work or with your boss and have no intimacy with them. 
to have intimacy, there requires two things, vulnerability, the willing to, willingness to be known and not be ashamed, and that's a big thing. Paul said this, that I may know him as he knows me. So to the measure that Paul allows vulnerability to come into his life, like the baby Jesus comes, the, the measure that Paul allows vulnerability and openness and taking that chance to be loved in the body of Christ or to be loved by God personally is the measure that we're going to know God. I don't know God if I don't allow myself to be, to be opened up, bare before the cross and loved by God. You know what's amazing? As it says in 1 John, it says, says that this is the confidence that we have in him that he knows all things, that he loves us. Right? Isn't that amazing? God knows stuff that we're going to do wrong in the future that we don't even know yet about. And he still loves us. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. That's the confidence that we have in him. Intimacy means that I can be vulnerable before God in an environment of grace and in, in a body, like in a body like this, and just bear out my soul to people. I say, you know something? I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? You know that? This is the body, right? This is, this is the way, this is the way the body life happens. Because if we come into a church and it turns into just this, this achievement or this thing about who can dress the nicest and who can do this the nicest or whatever, we are so we are just another aspect of the world. We come into the body and we're just like, you know something, I'm broken and I'm broken today. Just love me. This is what's going on in my life. This is what it means to confess your faults one to another. You know, we confess our sins to God. Confessing our faults one to another means, you know something, I, I fall short in this area of my life. And I feel that in my relationship with you and in this body, I can say this because there's an environment of grace. And this is a body that loves each other because we know the grace and love of God. The second thing that intimacy requires, this can happen in every, in, in every relationship that we have. Intimacy requires finality. You know what that means? Finality. It means that there has to be a final word about something. It means that, for example, in marriage, there cannot be... We cannot enjoy, marriage cannot be enjoyed to the measure that it can be enjoyed without the finality of I do till death do us part. Because both of our souls need to be secure in a place where there's been a, there's been a finality to this marriage. And there's been, I, you know, and that's why weddings are just, you know, I think recently we spoke with a young couple from Philadelphia before we moved here and we was like, hey, you know, We'll do your wedding. Just get married. You know, like, we just love you. This church loves you. We'll put on the whole thing for you. We'll get your wedding dress. And, you know, what happens is, is that when we don't live in the finality of a relationship, there, can be, there cannot be an environment where someone can say, I feel safe here. Right? Grace and love, the love of God, the unconditional love of God that we see is that God and take the risk and expose himself to be someone that is killable because love doesn't fear. In a relationship with each other, we can have finality in these different relations. Number one, in marriage, we can have finality because we say, I do, and there's no other distraction in my life. I do, and you, you are all. You are everything. Number two, in a church family, finality means not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but much more as the day is approaching. Last night, I was reading some crazy stuff. I don't know. American media right now is just obsessed with what's going on with all these senators and everything like that, right? But is anybody reading what's happening in the Middle East right now? Anybody reading? I know some of you do. 
It, it's unbelievable what's happening. It's crazy. I wish I had another hour to talk about it. Maybe, you know, after the service when we're going to have like a little lunch here, and if you want to stay, we can talk about it. Some crazy stuff is happening in the Middle East that's so important right now that stuff like this has not, been, has not happened since 70 years ago. And by the way, November 29th was what? You might date that, you know what? What anniversary that was? It's the 70th anniversary. That's a very big number in Matthew 24. Big stuff happened, guys. 2018 is probably going to be the most amazing year. I'm not talking about blood moons and all that stuff. I'm just talking about, like, scripture here. That we don't have to look to the moons and the stars to figure out what's going on. We can look at the scriptures. I think if we didn't watch any TV and we just had a Bible, and people are going to think I'm a radical right now, but if we didn't have any TV and just read our Bible, we would know more... The mass media is what's going on in this world. Okay, I do encourage you to stay in touch with what's happening. <laughs> Just don't be mesmerized by it. There's a lot going on right now. There's a lot going on. And that's why we need to draw near, to build each other up, and to use it much more as the day is approaching. And then number three, intimacy in your calling. Intimacy in your personal calling. Personal calling. Your personal calling. Chase that down. Chase down your personal calling. Follow that and make sure that there's a finality in it. What's the finality in our personal calling? That I've been called by grace and equipped by the grace of God. And that God is going to be faithful to completely start it in your life. God has begun some things in our lives and he's going to be faithful to complete it. Amen. I think I know many of you in this room are we are in a we are embarking in a faith adventure. And this is so exciting. What God's going to be doing in the future years of your life because of your personal calling. Thirdly, and I just want to, I want to go through these last two points here quickly. Thirdly, Christmas means that love really matters. And I don't want to sound mushy and sentimental here and nostalgic, but I do want to make this point. That love, God's love, really does matter. We live in a world where uh, Christmas has become, and we know this, has become commercialized. The world is not just a secular world, it's a commercial world. And this commercial world that we live in says that the commerciality and buying and what you have is all that there is. People matter. Human beings matter. And we just talked about that a few minutes ago, about how God loves people. Love, taking care of people really matters. You know something? If you're taking care of someone or if you're in somebody's life and you're never going to get a thank you, it matters. It matters to God. You know, there are people in your life and you're never going to get a thank you from them. And we can either push the envelope and try to get a thank you out of them so that we can feel good about what we're doing and get our reward in heaven on earth. Or we can just do what we do unto the Lord and just say, God, I'm doing this to you. And if I don't get any thank you, that hurts. But who cares? Jesus never got a thank you. We, we, are, we are doing this unto the Lord. We do this unto the Lord. I don't say that in some passive-aggressive way. But what we do, we do unto the Lord because love really matters to God. When we give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, think of that. If you're a mom and you make, make breakfast to your kids, you do that in Jesus' name, there's a reward for that. If you're a dad, you're out there working every day, providing for your family, and you're doing this in Jesus' name because you love your wife and your kids, there's a reward for that. Amen? If you go to your neighbor and just say, hey, I'm just checking up on you. How you doing? Everything okay? Can I pray for you? Through anything that's happening that, you know, there's a reward for that. Amen? People matter. And this is what Jesus is showing us through Christmas. 
this is what can this is the gospel of Christmas that can make people whole. Something interesting happened in 1961. Remember Yuri Gagarin, that Russian astronaut, or I'm sorry, cosmonaut, that went up into the heavens and into the atmosphere and wrote, went around, he orbited the Earth. This was a time when communism in Russia was very strong. He went up there and he looked around and he said, there's no God out, there's no God up here. I don't see any God up here. And he comes back down and at that time it was Khrushchev was the president in Russia. And Khrushchev said, he made this a political matter. He said, Russia was the first to send someone into orbit. And they, they went up there, Yuri Gagarin didn't see God. There is no God, so therefore atheism is true. C.S. Lewis heard that and decided to write a little article called The All-Seeing Eye. How many have read that? It's a beautiful thing. And what C.S. Lewis basically said is, is that when you look at when you look at the existence of God like Yuri Gagarin and, and Khrushchev looked at it, that God lives on the second floor and man lives on the first floor, and, and a man goes from first floor to second floor to find God and doesn't see him there, and said that there's no one there, that is not the way it works. Look at it like this. Shakespeare wrote his play Hamlet. I don't know if you've read that, but maybe read that in high school. But when you read the book, when you read that play Hamlet, there's no other play that Shakespeare poured more of his own soul into than that play. This is what a lot of literary uh, you know, gurus talk, say about that. When you read that, Hamlet really, in a lot of ways, looks like you know, looks like Shakespeare in his writing. And C.S. Lewis says that the way that Shakespeare writes Hamlet is really the way God is, is writing the story of humanity. That Hamlet would have not, Hamlet does not know anything about Shakespeare unless Shakespeare writes something in the story of Hamlet. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That the creator, we as God's creation cannot know anything about the creator unless God writes something into the story. We cannot know anything. We go into space, and we're not going to see God there. Because God has to write something into the story for us to know him. Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. That without God, the creator, writing something into our story, we're not going to know God. And this is what Christmas is. God is writing into our story, not just who he is, but he's writing himself into the story. He is the word of life. This is the main point of the message, is that the gospel of Christmas is that Jesus is the word of life, is that God sent his son. No, he didn't send his son. He gave his son. Big difference, because sent means, suppose you have a crisis at work, right? Somebody, you know, like Neil's is dealing with something down there and, and at work, and somebody messes something up, and he's, Neil's got to send someone in there to fix it, fix it. Usually it's probably himself going in there trying to fix it. Jesus didn't just send somebody in to fix something. Jesus... God, God sent Jesus, actually, he gave Jesus to die in that situation. Imagine Neil having to go into a situation and he said it was going to require his life. I don't think he's going to lay down his life for exile. Maybe he would, I don't know. But <laughs> that's that kind of a guy. God didn't just send Jesus. God, God, God gave Jesus. And that means God gave our life. And that means that God wrote Jesus into the story of mankind. And this is so beautiful because now we can have fellowship with God. And this is really the doctrine of Christmas. Jesus was born in the manger so that we could, number one, be saved by grace. Number two, that we could have fellowship with God. Number three, that love really matters. That God's love really matters. And number four, the last point is, it means joy. 
Christmas means joy. And I don't want to just use Christmas holiday buzzwords, but what is joy for a lot of people today? Maybe getting what they wanted for Christmas. You know, maybe seeing someone that they wanted to see for Christmas. Christmas joy is in verse 4 of 1 John 1, verse 4. And he says this, I'm writing you all about this incarnation because I want you to believe this and enter into the intimacy of it so that your joy would be complete. In closing, three things that the Apostle John is writing here. Christmas joy comes. Joy in Christmas, and there's a lot of pain in Christmas. Believe me, there is. True joy comes in Christmas when there's intimacy with God. That's the only way we're going to make it through times that are difficult and times that are busy. It's just intimacy with God. Intimacy, God, intimacy with God, number two, can only be experienced when there's finality and no distractions. If this is the only thing that you're getting out of the message this morning, get these three points. That joy comes with true intimacy with God, meaning that I'm exposed to God and I'm not afraid of God because I'm allowing Him to know me as I am known. Number two, intimacy with God can only be experienced when there's finality and no distraction or change of mind. Amen? God's not changing His mind about us. God gave His Son, and when He gave His Son, and His Son was incarnated, and that aspect of Trinity was incarnated into, the, into a physical form, there was no going back. And God gave His Son. And that's where intimacy began. And number three, the Christmas Gospel is, great, is the greatest story. And I love this. I want to finish with this. The Christmas Gospel is the greatest story of finality. But when you have a baby, there's no taking that baby back, right? When you have that baby, it's there. And that baby is an opportunity for intimacy. If you've had kids, you know what I'm talking about. There's that intimacy there. There's that vulnerability there. And that's what Jesus did for us. I want to close with just this one one phrase, and I like words. I enjoy reading. I like uh, I like to dig into lyrics, and sometimes we sing these Christmas carols. But do you know how loaded they are? Uh, they are so incredible. Charles Wesley wrote this, wrote the lyrics to "Hark the Herald Angels Sing," and I just want to read this one line to you. And this this encapsulates what I'm talking about. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Amen? Let's close in prayer.